What's up, you beautiful bastards? Hope you've had a fantastic Sunday, and even if you're not, I have something special for you today. Something a little bit different. This past week, I was able to sit down and interview Casey Neistat, who has been in the news a ton recently. Whether it be around the recent Samsung ad controversy, the news that he sold one of his companies for millions of dollars to CNN and is jumping into news, and in connection to that, the Hillary Clinton, who I'm voting for video that was very polarizing. And in this interview podcast, we cover all of that and so much more. With that said, enjoy. I don't think it matters if it goes over the head of like 80% of those kids because sometimes you meet those kids and they're just so smart. They're just so smart. Yeah. They get it and you're like, okay, yeah. you're going to be you're gonna be the next Liza Koshy. You're going to be the next Casey. You're going to be the next whatever. It's crazy to say the words the next Liza Koshy. Well, L she's just so in it. Right Liza Koshy is the next. Yeah, but she is like, she is, I think, one of the biggest. Yeah. I think she and David Dilbert are like the two. Yeah, so she got me into watching him, and I was like, okay. And then he's doing the smart route of going podcast as well. And he's just a he's just a brilliant tactician in the whole game. Are we going? Are we on? Yeah, I mean, we can be on. We can say hello, sup, you beautiful bastards. Uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm Philip DeFranco. Today we have the very. I like that I'm saying it like the podcast has been a thing for years. Uh, we have Casey Neistat, one of the biggest names in in digital media for the past two years, a prominent YouTuber, businessman, and uh, soon to be. Potentially massive in news. I think maybe. Yeah, just, I mean, talk, that's the goal, We should right? talk about that, Phil. We should. Yeah. I mean, there's a few things I want to talk about. But, I mean, wait, we were just talking about YouTubers here. We were kind of gushing. I feel like we've gushed multiple times over Liza Koshy, uh, specifically. Uh, Liza is just such a superstar. And there's, like, uh, for someone her age mm -hmm. to just have such presence. And, no, I think that she is, like, she represents the next generation or this generation so. of, like, true superstars in the platform. I hope so. I mean, I I like to try and keep as many of my personal negative thoughts in my own head as possible, but whenever I see someone like Liza, I'm like, I wanna I wanna just shout their name from the rooftop because I want that to be what the next generation is. There's there's some That's stuff right. out there where people are they are master tacticians, but it's it's like content that I can't subscribe to. I'm not on board with it. But no, there's a there's always that sort of juking of the system and manipulating of the system mm -hmm. that's purely driven by views and a lot of ego. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who are creators, true creators that really envelop themselves in what I think of as like the the art form, the creativity behind it. And I think Liza is absolutely like the tip of that spear. Like her videos, whether they're getting four million or or when she first started, it was a much smaller audience. Right. Have just such brilliance to them, and like the the depth of the comedy, and like she puts herself out there, and they're she's characters. She is like, uh, I wish I could buy futures on Liza Koshy. <laughs> they will pay out tenfold. They would pay out tenfold. Yeah, I well, so I mean, kind of on that that mindset of like the the ego, the point of making content. I feel like you've explained why you made your content in the past, but so. Your, your new jump into news, what you're you're doing and showing the kind of the build out, what do you get out of that personally, right? Because there's obviously, there's ego in everything we do, right? As much as we don't want to say it, like there is something to walking on a stage and people cheering and feeling like you're connecting with people. But like, what do you personally get out of it? I mean, that's like a, that's a, there's like 50, that's like a 20 give me, give, facet give me, question, oh, Phil DeFranco. Give, give me the top, top two, top um, three. You know, me, me personally, like my... When I was a little kid, I always wanted to be a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. um, but I think then I became a filmmaker, and I worked in television, and I made feature films, and I realized that, like, I didn't really give a shit about the um, process. I cared about what it did. Mm -hmm. Like, I love the idea of sharing perspectives and sharing ideas, and I think moving images, video, movies, is the best catalyst for that. And that's why I sort of left the traditional aspects of media and really embraced YouTube. 
because it was like move all the politics and bullshit aside. Mm -hmm. And it was just about creating. Like I didn't have to deal with anybody when it came to distribution. I just click upload. And there was such a, a beauty to that that I fell in love with it. And then when I started daily vlogging, it was really probably the biggest inflection point in, in that aspect of my career ever because mm -hmm. it went from being, uh, to quote my friend Max Joseph, it went from being like an art form to being a sport Okay. because there was something competitive about it, com competitive with myself, not mm -hmm. with other creators, but could I actually make a movie every single day mm -hmm. and just do it by myself? And that was like a big narrative behind what I was creating. And then I think that that got away from me quite a bit and vlogging became something different for me. And towards the end, uh, I started to feel like I lost my way in vlogging. Like, I, do you I, feel like you were just doing it to do it, to maintain? You to... know, I, 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 when I stopped and I did the video that was like my last vlog or why I'm stopping, I, I think I really did a terrible job of communicating it. I said that it just got, the words I used was it got too easy. And I know what that means. So you said that publicly? Yeah. Okay, good. Because no, I, I, I wanted to kind of hit on that point because I know that in, like, in a conversation we had a long time ago, you mentioned that. And that was such a, was such a fascinating thought to me. Yeah. I mean, and then look, and, and that's, that means that I'm doing a terrible job communicating what I mean. Because when I, when I say the words got too easy, I mean the things that got me the most excited about it went away. Okay. I mean the, the things that were the challenges, the creative challenges. What am I going to do today? What story can I tell today? What drives me today mm -hmm. that I want to share? All that shit faded away, and it became kind of routine. And that's what I meant by it became too easy. It was that the part that I loved faded away. And instead, I, I really embraced a process, which I had gotten down after 500 episodes. And the excitement faded, and in its place became something that was routine, that was easy right. and, and boring for me. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, with, with what you're doing, you're kind of shift. Even, I mean, I, I, I do want to talk about... Uh, like in the past 72 hours, like that video, because that's a bit, it's interesting to me for two reasons. Like there's the first reason, which I talked about on the show, and we can get to that later. The second reason was, and I've experienced a backlash like this three years ago where people were saying how essentially to, they used harsh words, but that it was off brand, mm -hmm. right? So, cause, because you ended up sharing your life so much that you're Casey, the, the entrepreneur, you're Casey, the husband, you're Casey, the dad, and then you show like, Two cool, two cool guys in like fancy place, fast car, hot girls, hot thumbnail, and I didn't even expect for you to to get any kind of crap for that because it feels like your audience would separate the artist from the art, right? But it seemed like in the shift there was some pushback there, and I experienced that in the past when I dabbled with glamour photography because I, I was like I was really I wanted to try and create like beautiful images, like the things I had consumed uh, growing up, I was like, what can I do to make that like maybe more tasteful or more interesting or bigger? Um, so I don't know, uh, do you, when you see people doing those stupid comments, like what would your wife think? Like, do you think those are people that just, they're not able to separate it? And does it make you think I need to do something different or th you're just gonna shed those people? No, I mean, look, I think that um, one, when it gets comes to your your craft or what you're passionate about like you gotta like you have to be a little draconian when considering how it's going to affect your like you have to not care mm -hmm. what your audience thinks and that's a, I say that very delicately because mm -hmm. I love my audience and I rely on the back and forth that is my audience but if I'm creating at sort of the behest of what I think they're going to like then I'm marginalizing what I'm interested in right and like a video like that, no, like, fuck yeah, I want to make videos like that. Like that was such an incredible opportunity. 
I'm with like one of my closest friends in one of the most exotic locations in the world. And I've got Samsung that's like, hey, do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Just shoot it on our phone. And I was like, whatever I want to do. That was the that was the assignment. And it was like, well, shit, if it's whatever I want to do, like, here's the fantasy that plays out. Like, this is a life that I don't have access right. to, but like I do for a day. Mm-hmm. Let's make this happen. And um, I think it's a great video. And to me, that's sort of at the end of everything. Like, if I think the video is great. I don't really care what the response is. Interesting. And I and I, well, mean, I mean, there has to be some some level of response because I saw that, like, as I was looking this morning because I wanted to see like if things had calmed down, and it looked like you had done two updates: one in the description, and then one that kind of went along with it, but almost seemed to, in in some ways, contradict it in the in the comments. Um, and so I was kind of, I was trying to get a mindset of, I mean, there has to be some level of care. It's like when someone walks around and they're like, I give zero fucks. It's like, well, <laughs> no, you give some, and look, and, and, and that's, of course, yeah. I want to be understood. Mm-hmm. And if people don't understand why I made something like that, like the, the explanation that I gave in the comments and I pinned it to the video was just that like, um, expectations are, I don't know what words I use, but it was like expectations oh, are disappointments know. in the making. And and I mean that, like, and, and this gets back to your question, Phil, but like, when I first started vlogging, like the first month of vlogging, everybody, the comments were all the same. I hate this. You're not a vlogger. You're not a YouTuber, Casey. You're one of my favorite filmmakers on YouTube. Get back to making movies. Nobody cares about your life. Like, mm-hmm. that was the comment. Every single, and when I quit vlogging and I said I wanted to make movies and I posted my first non-vlog video, everybody was like, you are a vlogger. Do not post videos like this. You right. are a vlog. Yeah, people will put you in a box, yeah. And, you and I, I think that uh, I don't fault people for that. Mm-hmm. When people click that subscribe button, they're subscribing to a daily vlogger who shares his family. And, and then, like, I indulge and I make a video that's, like, something that excites me tremendously. And right. It's not what they expected. You know, it, it feels weird and out of place for them. Like, you go to McDonald's and you order a cheeseburger and instead you get a salad. You're like, this isn't what I expected. I hate this. So I, I get where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um does that answer your question? A little bit. I mean, because part of me, so because that's what I kind of wanted to ask uh, about, because it feels like there were two things that people were, were talking about. One was, it felt, some people, and I wanted to kind of feel if you if you understand their point of view of why some people felt like they were they were being misled. Because that's, that's also something that I've had to like slowly evolve how, I mean, I've made the way that we introduce uh, sponsorships into the show, like that was an evolution because we need to figure out uh, how can we be as transparent as possible, right? Um, but then provide for the brand. And so that was that was where I was asking because, let's see, we were given the, you said in the comment, we were given an opportunity to do something fun and that is that, nothing more. But then in the top it says, this is an ad, this is an ad, this is an ad. I do apologize if it wasn't. But then back to the comment, it says, I make no apologies for, for my love of life and for the opportunities I, I am given. So I, that's, I wanted to see if it was like both from you, because I was so, I was like, is, yeah, he, I mean, look, is he apologizing I, for one no, thing, one is, another? One so is me trying to make sense of the creative for the, for the, for the audience. Okay. Um, and that's what the comment was about. Okay. And then when I saw your fucking bullshit hit job video that, <gasps> you, ran, you? that you ran on me, Phil DeFranco, oh my God. I put that comment in there. Not that I had to, but I put that comment right. in there literally just to respond mm-hmm. to what I thought was like a wildly misguided, unfair, bullshit attack by everybody on YouTube about mm-hmm. the fact that that was an ad. So much so that, Phil DeFranco, I wanted to call you out. And yes, I, I do printed it. something out here for you. Do it. And I am no, um, I make no secrets 
about my affinity for the Phil DeFranco show. <laughs> In fact, yesterday here at VidCon, mm -hmm. when asked what are the YouTubers that I really admire and really like, I talked about you on stage for like a good solid three minutes, 180 seconds, Phil. Oh. I mean, <laughs> 180 I, mean I, I love it the way you're setting this up. I want to see. I mean, I could sit here and gush all day, but like I, I do appreciate, and, and we should get back to that when we, I'd love to talk about yes. meme and news and uh, my appreciation for what you're doing on the mm -hmm. platform and the transitions you've done. But in any Also, event. yeah, understand that a lot of what, or what part of this is, is I do want to kind of stress test it because I say it in the videos too. I respect you as a creator. I think that you're about to go into a very... A very, a very interesting space where it, it's uh, transparency is key, and so I think this kind of translates into that. But I want, I want you to hit this first. Yeah, quit trying to deflect, Phil DeFranco. I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying to call you out here. Wait, guys, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Can we pause this? No, so, <laughs> no, so yes, to to respond to mm -hmm. the question of like, this is an ad you tricked us, right? Which was like a, a what, what people were screaming from the rooftops, right? Is that like that was there is a there are a lot of there's a spectrum when it comes to ads mm -hmm. and this is a nuanced thing. If something is an ad, it means something that was entirely dictated and there's editorial by a brand. Um, and then there's all kinds of seg there's all kinds of, of slots along that spectrum. And what a video like that was was identical to my Nike. Uh, make account video right. was identical to my uh, do what you can't video mm -hmm. um, that you have a sweet cameo in was identical <laughs> to my human flying drone video mm -hmm. and the way in which I I address the fact that these are sponsored branded videos was identical across all four of those videos so all of a sudden we're talking about 25 million views more 8 plus 20 28 30 almost 35 million views mm -hmm. And not one person bitch about the way that I'd have the to brands... go. I'd have to go through each video, but they're in Nike. You say Nike gave me a bunch of money right at the beginning of the video. Right at the beginning of the video. Um, Walter Mitty, they wanted to give me a bunch of money. Okay, that wasn't one of the ones that I just brought up. Okay, well, no, I'm just thinking of your 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 archive of videos that you've done. Human so, flying drone. At the very end, it says "Happy Holidays" from your friends at Samsung. Okay, that's it. Mm -hmm. um, do what you can't at, or. Um, uh, do what you can at the very, very end. It says, mm -hmm. thank you, Samsung, for enabling the rest of us. Okay. Verbatim. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the end of this video, it says it the exact same way. Like, this so was do shot entirely. Do you feel like you got hit on this specifically because it was so different? Well, wait, let me get to that. Okay, yes, yes. First, I'm, I'm not done calling you out. I, okay, I have perfect. a really no, pointed Phil DeFranco call out here, yes. which is just that the reason, one of the reasons why I love your show so mm -hmm. much is that you do something that I, you have such tremendous research and integrity in the, in the information that you provide, mm -hmm. but you couldn't do a fucking Google search Ooh, on yeah, me, Phil. Let's do it. On like how to do that. Because like, this is literally the legalities behind how you're supposed to address branded content. And it, it says like, uh, in this scenario, most of the blog is editorial material that contains independent, non-paid-for opinion with a specific section dedicated to the promotion of a product. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly the verbatim description of what that video was. Wait, say, read it again. I mean, I'll just email no. this to you so you can read the whole thing. Including a label or statement in the title of vlog is unnecessary. We would advise, advise against labeling the whole vlog as an when ad. Is, when is that? When the surrounding when is that material. From, though? Like, what is when, this? this no, is, when? Like, because. This is super current. I, okay, I because, screenshotted this this morning. Because there's, for you. there's a reason why, like, many YouTubers are getting fined and many people and are I, having And to I know all about it. And, because, right? and, that's, and this is something that's going to affect me as well. Because, I mean, 
what you're talking about isn't just support, right? There, there's, there's a lot of different ways, I think, that you can swing how the money goes in this situation. But there's obviously a, a transfer of, of currency, of which went straight into back end for a promotion of, for you, it may have been more a promotion for an experience, right? A, a thought, a dream, as you, as you say, kind of in your, in your comment. But for them, it's, it's, it's purely an ad. Same as if like you did the, uh, the $21,000 first class airplane seat, if that had turned out to be like a pure sponsorship, like there would be people that would feel misled. So I feel like what you're kind of talking about is uh, two different things, right? You're talking about FTC guidelines and then an audience that cares about morality, right? An audience that potentially as you go into a space where authenticity and transparency is key, um, people, people might go, well, how do we know that everything is on the up and up? Right. Obviously, this is completely different than if you were talking about an election. Right. But all people have is like what they can base off of historical data, what you've done in the past. Look, I, I get so, that. But it sounds but like I, we I have two you're, separate issues. Right. I, and I you're think talking about the law and I'm talking about people. And I think you know that the I understand, but I think, far different. I think you're I think you're pushing two things together here because I genuinely believe that like. I mean, literally, human flying drone, do what you can't, like examine right. those. It was identical to the way that I integrated that. Identical, like right. the, the way that I mentioned the brand. And on neither of those videos was there a single comment about people feeling tricked mm-hmm. about it being a Samsung ad, people being tricked or misled. Do you feel like it might be like the, the straw that broke the camel's back? Or is there something specific no, about I this think video that people or the were environment pissed now? off about the video. And they okay. were looking for a reason to why they were pissed off. Okay. And I think that they attached that to the fact that it was a branded piece of branded content. That's what I reduce it to. So you because, thought of it Because as... you're right. And I'm, I'm not trying to hide behind FTC regulations. I just wanted you and your audience to know right. that I, I respect them wholly. Right. And I did my research before I published any of these videos. Right. I, I mean that. I mean yeah. that. But that's not enough of an excuse. The audience was upset and they were genuinely upset. And as I examined what they were upset about, I don't believe it was because Casey violated, <laughs> even though I didn't, because they thought Casey violated an FTC. I think it was something else. And I think it was that something else was what you initially brought up. I think that like people don't like seeing Casey and Jesse, like that kid from Philly and like Casey, like this struggling DIY film, like living these indulgent over the top. I think that's what upset people. I don't think they like seeing Casey and Jesse with two girls that aren't Gina and Candace. <laughs> Even though, by the way, those girls were um, Max, who like directed that movie with me. Yeah. They're his wife's friends. Yeah, like yeah. They're friends of ours. Like The whole thing was like, those girls are great. Like, right. They're totals. Um, I don't think that, I think that that upset people. Mm-hmm. I think that relatability is everything. Right. And all of a sudden, two guys that are so relatable, like in the in that video, people were like, I don't relate to these guys, and therefore, well, that, yeah. that frustrates me. Yeah, I mean, the longer the longer an audience watches, the more likely it is that you get the you change thing. But also, I mean, you guys are right. both right. I mean, I'd love to at a different point. I want to get Jesse on because he he's he's gone like a very creative route, but then also at times feels like a very judgmental route as far as other YouTubers and the content they produce. Um, kind of a, a talking down to. So I want to talk to him about it, especially seeing this kind of content. But I think that makes sense. That's interesting. But, that's, but do you, but do you my, personally also see, though, like the difference between the, like, at least the, the understanding, like trying to understand the point of view of a person that it's not just like jealousy or they, they think that it's unrelatable, but that they personally in a different way. You think that it, you think that it is separate. 
as far as they, the sorry, as far as the like them being angry about it and them feeling tricked. You think it's more? No, I think them feeling they, tricked is bullshit. Okay, I think it's bullshit. Interesting. I think that people were looking for a reason to dislike that video, and they leaned into that. Interesting, I, Phil. I just like let's look at the data. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Well, people change. Everything changes. No, let's look at the data. Like, yeah. Human flying drone was literally like <laughs> six months ago. You're that like, did Damn ten it. million views. Right. And it did another 50 million views on Facebook. And there literally wasn't one call out. Mm -hmm. I feel tricked this was a Samsung ad. That was uh, like unapologetically identical See in the that? way that I addressed it. Identical. Right. Like, uh, look it up. Identical. And not a single comment. Not one person saying, I feel tricked. I'm going to go there and leave that comment right now. I know you are, <laughs> Phil. Stop typing. I'm um, like, I'm going to take him down a peg. So like, so it just forces me, Phil, to ask why. And I do right. empathize. And I don't fault people for looking at Casey and Jesse in that crazy-ass hotel and on boats with, with pretty girls and getting upset. I get right. it. But that's not, I don't think that that's, it would be fair for me to be like, well, this might upset people, so I'm not going to make something that I think is an awesome, right. fun video. No, as far as the, the core idea of I'm going to make what I want to make and I'm not going to let the audience guide me, I am 100% on board with that. Um, but I just wanted to talk about that because I, because yeah, because yeah, especially because I was, I was like, you know what, I want to mainly talk about the news, but then I saw the two updates and I was like, I gotta, I gotta pick his brain about this. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. I'm always like, I try to be as transparent as possible. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think when I had a, when I was actually uploading daily, it gave me more of an opportunity to have that dialogue with the audience, mm -hmm. and it is like a little bit of a frustration of mine. Obviously, I can respond on Twitter, but you mm -hmm. know, the engagement on Twitter is very different from the engagement yeah. on YouTube. Um, so it's tough because I don't want my YouTube channel to be just be a series of videos of me explaining myself. <laughs> that typically means you're doing something wrong, right. unless it's the Phil DeFranco show. Because I mean it, you have an amazing forum where it's just you talking to your audience. Thank you. And uh, it's part of the reason why I love it. And I, I think that my channel is a little bit different. So it does get difficult. You try right. to use the comments and you try to use the community product, which I think is really interesting. But none of it really works, like saying right. something in a video. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's that's also why I want to do more of these. Um, one of the, the the most beneficial kind of interviews we've ever done in the past was uh, after PewDiePie called out a, uh, it was like a children's channel, Ryan Toys Review. A lot of people thought that these uh, kid channels were gaming the system. It doesn't make sense for them to make something on their platform. Or like in your case, you feel like it would hold you back. So that's also another reason why I want to start doing these. Plus, I just, I mean, I, you, if you want to show, you know. Are you posting these to YouTube? Uh, I might. I might. We're, we're figuring out where. At, at the first the first place we're going to do the whole thing is DeFranco Elite. Right? So all Which the people awesome, that are. And I'm a huge fan of that. And I just want you. to comment directly to the motherfucking naysayers who give you and other creators a hard time for using Patreon. Oh, no, it's a, uh, the, the thing is we get a lot of critics that are on the outside that don't support us. I think as far as backlash, we've gotten the, the smallest amount out of anyone that's, that's really done Keep it. Feeling, that you has need an, to explain an yourself to me, buddy. I'm just saying that I, it, I see it. Right. I see it on Twitter. Yeah. I just want to address the whole world about using Patreon mm -hmm. and asking your audience to support what they view. Because to me, it is the most contradictory thing ever for YouTubers or independent creators to have any sense of guilt or, or be, be shamed in any capacity for asking their audience to support them. Mm -hmm. When HBO, 30 years have been paying to watch, you know, you pay to watch HBO, you pay to watch Hulu, you pay to watch Amazon, you pay to watch the cable television. 
You pay in the form of ads to watch YouTube. Like there's all these are there's a transaction here. And to neglect right. the fact that there's a cost and an expense, and to neglect the fact that by you doing something where you're funding your project differently than others, it's something that you should feel at at, at all second rate or be shamed by others. I know you don't feel that way, and that's right. part of because you're right. But when I see other people um, sort of casting doubt or looking down on, on, on fundraising from their audience, it upsets me to no end because I think it is a more pure way to fund what you're doing than sort of the variable, the gross variables that are um, YouTube monetization or anything else. It's someone stepping up saying, I appreciate what you do so much. I would like to support that. I do like my $12 a month or 16 bucks a month to HBO. Mm-hmm. Even though Game of Thrones is only on like three months out of the year, <laughs> Phil, I pay it the whole year because right. I appreciate what they're mm-hmm. doing. I do. And I look at a number of other, uh, other, you know, I pay for the Ben Shapiro show, even though, uh, you know, you could get it for free, but I really appreciate what he does. I don't right. agree with everything Ben Shapiro says, by the way. Right. But I'm a fan I of love his it. show. Every, every comment, sir, I don't also agree with everything they say. You have <laughs> no, to. No, that's an important that. distinction. No, but yeah, but, no, Shapiro's, I mean... I, I follow him as well, but that's just because, yeah, I love the way that he he forms his arguments. And I'm like, exactly okay, right. that's a great way for me to understand someone no, else's and, point of view. And, and I also like um, to use this as a segue into politics. Like, you know, I also, I, I swing both ways when it comes to politics. I have, I support a lot of conservative perspectives and I a feel lot like of liberal perspectives. I feel like you're going to have the hardest time proving that to the internet. Oh, and, it's, it's, an, it's, it's impossible. But do you have like a game plan for that? Because, I mean, especially with launching the news network, it seems like... It seems like the you know the the who I'm voting for president video opened up doors, right? But it also opened you up to a lot of people that that are like, oh, so he's closing a door out on me. So it's like, how do you get past that? Do you get past that by making very smart smart moves like bringing in Vsauce three, right, to to come in where there's there's already that built in respect? Um, is it is it focusing on the audience and that way you get to distance yourself and it's the audience and not you? I mean, what do you think? The, the short answer is like a lot of what we're doing is apolitical. Like you know, I, I think that one of the reasons why I was so excited to have this conversation is because I I know that you're. You personally, Phil, when you think of news and even what we might be doing, I think you look at that through the, rightly so, you look at it through the lens of what you're doing. Mm. But I will say that like what we're doing is wildly different. It's much closer to like, um, it's a lot more fun and it does not say what you do isn't, isn't fun or interesting, but it's, it's more, it's more variety show. It's more, um, you know, it, it. it's not one person sitting talking to the camera for you know eight to twelve minutes, right. and and we're all over the place in what we're doing, and the subject matter we're tackling is extraordinarily um, broad. But to answer your your question exactly, like you know, I don't know, and I, I also think that like if you break down the semantics of what I say in that video, like I I'm not and have never been a Hillary Clinton fan. No, and you put that out in there in the video. I, I think that she, when it came to the election of 2016, we had two bad options. And at the end of the day, as a father of a of you know of a of a little girl, and for for myriad other reasons, morally, I I thought that she was she was the least worst option. Okay. And and I and that is the totality of my my political involvement in the 2016 election. Well, but I mean you. When, like, when you hit the the things like the Donald Trump is a racist, right? And that I mean, obviously, back in the day, it doesn't bother me anymore. But just to bring up the point of kind of the hurdle, um, and then you kind of throw out that anyone that's that's not essentially promoting to Hillary 
is essentially part of the problem, part of the reason that this guy might get elected and maybe the nuclear holocaust happens, right? They're, they're in part reason, like the, the person that didn't speak up. Do you think that you were speaking more towards people that supported Hillary but were scared to or just people in general? I because mean, that's, I, I, I think that's the thing where it's like, so you're saying that anyone that doesn't speak up for Hillary has no backbone, backbone is a, like, is a bad person, maybe is all the thing, all the negative things that you said about Donald Trump. And so there's like, I think I looked this morning, there's 325,000 or so likes, and then there's 278,000 uh, dislikes. And so it's obviously a minority audience. It's an audience that probably wasn't uh, mainly yours. They came from outside sources, but if you're going to talk about it, sounds I don't know if you're still going to talk about heavy topics as well, and then just kind of sprinkle in the stuff that brings in, you know, a lot of the views, a lot of the stuff that pads the stats, and then you also have like the big political pieces. How do you how do you not just end up being a bigger megaphone for for a younger generation of soon to be CNN viewers? You know, I mean that's a shitload of stuff to unpack. There. I know, um, I know, but it's, <laughs> we have the time. I hope. Uh, I mean, first of all, like. Uh, look, the missteps in that video were like, I, I try to be as careful as I can with trying not to confuse um, emotion with with what I'm communicating with my audience. And I think that that video was a gross misstep. And like, I, I was extremely emotional about that election. Mm -hmm. um, and look, at the end of the day, do I think that Hillary Clinton would have made a better president than not? I don't know. Um, uh, you know, I, I think if, if you look at anything that I put out, uh, on Twitter or anywhere else since then. Like, I mean, if you want to talk politics for two seconds, I think that the U.S. political situation is an absolute travesty. Mm -hmm. And I think that the Democrats are probably doing a worse job right now than the Republicans. I don't think that Donald Trump is the reason why we're having all these problems. I think that he is, he's merely a symptom of our completely fucked political system. He's not the reason for it. Um, I think that the left unjustly loves pointing at him. I think that it's bullshit that everybody loves haranguing on everything that he says when mm -hmm. the reality is like the implications of what's taking place in uh, where actual legislation is, is being pushed through is far greater than what our, our president says, jokingly or not, in the form of a tweet. Like, right. I think the entire system is just in shambles right now. And I don't think it's because of the one man who's sitting in the White House. I think that he is just a part, a symptom of something much, much, much larger. And to that effect, I think that Hillary Clinton would have also been a symptom of something much, much larger. She shouldn't have been there. Right. Um, but again, that's neither that's neither here nor there. I, I just wanted to sort of cast a, a, a broad understanding on for you about where I stand politically because I'm I'm, I'm scattered and frustrated. So, like, where where you just were mentally, and then and talking in the past two minutes for your new show is that is that more akin to like the KC people will see, or is it going to, because I will say, and I don't know if it's like the people that are watching or listening as well. I loved hearing that mindset from you because if, if all that's out there is that the very polarizing videos, then that's going to be kind of like the, the longstanding well, thought I mean, of who KC is. Phil, I think you're being a little, I think you're pointing to, you're putting, and I don't, I don't fault you for this, but I, I think you're putting a lot of weight on that one Hillary video. I think you're not putting enough. Like, and, and, and that's what I was going to say. I don't think you're wrong to be putting that much weight because I do understand and appreciate and like respect what a video like that, how a video like that paints me to the mm -hmm. public's eye. And undoing sort of that, that extreme um, position is something that I will have to work towards. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something, we're gonna, it's something that we're, we're going to address in this show. But in the same respect, like, you know, the show that we're making is not a, a 
a beacon of demagoguery for any one political agenda. Right. Um, I mean, for example, like the the last episode we finished before Jake and I both took off for VidCon and another travel, like we were examining uh, click farms in Thailand. You okay. Know what click farm is yeah, yeah, yeah. People pay and they get like a zillion likes on a picture and it's a way of juking the system and you do not know. Certain Yelp. places have kiosks that, that then go to those places. And that was it's part crazy. of it. But there's yeah. also a raid in Thailand where they found a house that had tens of thousands of phones that were all hacked. Um, we did a little bit of research, a little bit of digging, and it, it turns out it's not illegal in Thailand. The house was being raided because they had employees there that weren't being paid and it was considered slavery. But they weren't able to sort of... Uh, they were, what they were doing with the click farm was essentially legal. Mm-hmm. And then we trace that all the way to what that looks like on the front end for people like you and me. And it turns out you can actually buy likes, clicks, and followers for Instagram on this site that mm-hmm. was being attributed to by this click farm in Thailand. So we pranked one of our employees, one of the people on the tech team, who has 256 followers on Instagram. We bought him 5,000 followers. And then we bought him 5,000 likes just to see what this is actually like. And then we sent one of our reporters upstairs to the the tech side of the office to hidden camera and just watch him as his phone blows up. Yeah. And it was like a really enlightening thing. And what the story was, it was essentially like taking something that was a piece of relevant news, which are these click farms and the businesses behind them, explaining them in a way that was digestible and interesting, and then sort of showing you what that looks like on the other end of the spectrum, which is like, why do they exist? Well, they exist so people like the guy that we just pranked might want to buy 5,000 new followers, and this is how that manifests. We put in a credit card, and it was twenty nine ninety nine, and he got 5,000 followers, and the whole thing worked. Yeah. And it was fun because you got to see Steve freaking out because his phone was blowing up over a lame picture he posted on Instagram. <laughs> um, and it was interesting because mm-hmm. you care about the characters involved within, and it was also a compelling piece of, of journalism because we were able to dive a little bit deeper into why and how these click farms exist than I think any other outlet had focused on. Is that out right now? Um, no. So no. where we are right so now in, in production, okay. we're just making a lot of stuff. We're makes not publishing sense. it, Phil. We want to sort of find our voice. That makes sense. But I bring that example up because, you know, like that has, I don't know. I mean, is if this, you dig, it, you might find politics in there, but. Right. Well, I mean, so is it, so then is the angle more of like a, a gr- CNN's like great big story, but with more personality? Phil, you got to let go of the CNN bit. What do you mean? It's there. We have um, your so CNN. I'm not like I'm not like your fake news, Casey Neistat. But wait, no. So explain because no, I'd be more than happy to. So, um, and we should have we should have started to walk your audience through this. So let me give your audience just a two second. So Casey's the worst, and then no, we already you've already (laughs) established that. (laughs) Oh damn! No, uh, so you know I had a technology company named Beam. Beam. Beam had a single product, and that was a mobile video sharing app. Um, that we launched two years ago, three years ago. And it was successful at the launch, and then we really struggled. And we got, ultimately got our asses kicked by the likes of Instagram and Snapchat. Um, the product wasn't viable enough for us to raise money against. But we had developed tremendous value in the team that we had assembled, the capabilities we had, a lot of the back-end technologies we'd built. There was value there beyond just this core app. CNN was interested in me as a media uh, personality. Mm-hmm. And then they were interested in the technology we had built. Companies like CNN cannot attract the same kind of tech talent as a young, cool startup, right. which, is what, which is what we were. So they were excited at that. So because of that, they bought the company. And buying the company meant buying all of Beam and all of its intellectual property and everything attached to it. Mm-hmm. They did not buy my YouTube channel. Right. They didn't buy me or any of that. My YouTube channel is still mine. I can post whatever the hell I want to at any time, um, political or not. Um, but we have this new company. New company's still called Beam because we couldn't think of a better name. 
you laugh, Phil. No, I get it. Three months. Hey, with, I, with branding companies that we paid. And in the end, we're like, yeah, let's just call it Beam. Um, <laughs> we started this new company, and it's called Beam. Mm. And Beam is now a technology and media company. And what that means is, like, we're going to be build, making a tremendous amount of media content we put on the internet. We're going to start with a daily show and then a weekly re- ins- uh, investigative reporting show. And then we want to get into sports and we want to do all kinds of societal issues and cultural issues and music and fashion and art. Um, and then the tech side, we're building technology that enables that that media and what that means is if you think of like uh, hbo and the tech that they have in their apps it's just another way of distributing or disseminating the media that they have we're not building apps that just disseminate the media we're creating we're building apps that help us create that and what i mean is it's like you know during our daily news show we want to be able to sort of throw it to panelists just like uh nbc or or fox news does where they have talking heads mm. to get varied perspectives on a, on a on i think it's a story that it's going to be the panelists essentially the audience that's exactly right we built that's this unbelievable app called panels um which i can show you it's great yeah, I love and, it. and panels is a way for anybody around the world to we post the topics and they give their two cents in a 15 second split so when you're watching our news show and we have a topic that has varied opinions and varied perspectives on it, we can throw it to people from all around the world that look like you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's this much greater dialogue on this app. So that's how the technology is enabling the media. And that's the scope of what we're doing. And right now we're zeroed in on this daily show. And this daily show is something that I'm going to host. Maybe Jake's going to host. we got a couple other people. But it's not just going to be the Casey show. Right. And we're working very hard to make sure it's not the Casey show. Um, it's something much bigger than me. We have a news team behind it. Right? We have eight people that are all smarter than me and understand journalism way more than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're helping us sort of put together stories, do the research, fact check, make sure it's down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and within that, we're tackling subjects that interest us. And sometimes it is healthcare. And sometimes it's the fact that the Republicans are, you know, they're, they're not being transparent enough with the health care bill that is going to affect you and me. And that's serious. Right. And other times it's about click farms in Thailand because that's fucking fascinating to me. And if it's fascinating to me, it might be interesting to other people. But so kind of like with that, I mean, I don't know if I don't I don't want to feel like I'm cutting you off on, no, no, on no, your no. way to there. That but, was the but okay, that was so, the context, Phil, that I just wanted to give this conversation for your audience. They know where, where we are. But so because I, I, I guess kind of I, I'm asking because it kind of like lets you get, uh oh, he's leaving. He's I'm running just, away I'm from the stealing, questions. I'm stealing your Red Bull. <laughs> I hope this is okay. No, yes, of course. I was like, I, uh, I was like, I, we had to have a lot of it because I, uh, I am, I have two, I had two hours of sleep last night. Oh man, you're so sharp for two hours. I can only you imagine know. what you're like after you know. four. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean time. to interrupt your question. No, so, but so, right, so that's you're talking about the the separation between like it being the Casey show. But what do you say to the people that you know they're like, well, where'd the money come from, and then what control level do they have? Is there? Because it's easy to say that there's separation and there's autonomy. And, and, but, and that is such a valid question. Yeah. Let me let me re reframe that question for your audience in a much more harsh tone because okay. you're a polite, respectful interviewer. But like, how are we supposed to show the audience that CNN isn't, because CNN's paying all the bills. CNN bought the company. Right. CNN pays my salary at Beam as they do every other employee's salary. This is like, we are wholly owned by CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, like, how do we communicate to an audience that like we can say and do whatever the fuck we want? And the truth is like, you I can say that, I can have every person on air say that ad nauseum. And if I were a viewer, I wouldn't believe a single fucking person. And I think that this is absolutely one of the times where it is, it is show me, don't tell me. Like, of course, we're going to say that. We don't expect people to listen to us, but look, watch it. And if you feel like it's CNN bullshit, never watch again and don't subscribe. But I think that 
it will take about 60 seconds into the first episode, you watch for it and realize that, like, okay, there's no way that, you know, some middle-aged white man at CNN with his arms folded is standing over Casey and Jake and their team in making this kind of content. And I believe that with such confidence that I think that, you know, weeks or months into launching this, that people are, it's going to sort of fade away that CNN owns our company. Um, and I do mean that. And I mean that to the point where it's like, if I ever felt otherwise, and I just walk. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't work well for other people. I don't work well with people sort of flexing their uh, perspectives or anything on me. I'm not mm-hmm. interested in that. If you doubt that or my own integrity, then take a look at the 600 movies that I posted on YouTube or the decade of a career before that and find a single time where I compromise what I think or feel, sometimes much to my own detriment. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm, I'm an extraordinarily transparent and open person when it comes to everything that I do. And I think that like, Judge us at face value because okay. there's no way we're going to convince you or anyone else with words that we're anything but what we are. Is this so for you then? I love I love that explanation and I am a big believer in show me rather than say something that I'm going to have to just like, OK, sure, sure. But ultimately, people's actions will show their their true character and their true intentions. Is this your is this like is this your legacy? If, if, is this CNN thing? Beam? Talking about the news, right? Um, or no, no. And Phil, I want is, to say do you, do you I like, love your focus on this because you're a YouTube news guy. Well, it's so important. It, it, I agree, but I just yeah. mean like so many conversations I have, they never dive deep enough into this. And I'm just mm. literally, I mean it when I say I appreciate how focused you are on getting into this. Well, I just you, yeah, I just want a real conversation with people, not just like sure. Pacing. But I just your unique perspective on this is part of the reason why I'm so excited about coming in and talking to you today. Um, the short answer is no. I don't think this is going to be my legacy. I think that this is something, I, I, I say that with much hesitation because I don't want it to be misinterpreted that I am not both enthusiastic and entirely focused on what mm. we're doing at Beam because I am. But, you know, like my, getting back to what I was saying before when I said I thought I'd be a filmmaker when I was a little kid and then I realized I don't give a shit about making movies. I just love the power uh, of sharing perspectives and ideas through moving images. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your show would have one-tenth the, the views or the, the audience if it wasn't getting to sit with you every day and seeing you talk to me. Video is an incredibly powerful tool. Um, but no, my, my mission or my ambition behind this was like everything I've always done has always just been me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea of sort of scaling and making something bigger than me uh, was very, very exciting. And in the media space, I tried a bunch of versions of that. I had a production company with 20 employees before I shut it down in 2011. Um, you know, I made a show on HBO that had, you know, it was, it was complicated. I made movies with crews of 50 people, but none of it ever felt like scaling something that I really understood. And this opportunity with CNN, which was the mandate from them is do whatever the hell you want, just make it successful. Mm-hmm. They were, I shit you not, they were surprised when I said I want to do something that was news focused. They weren't expecting that, hmm. but I thought didn't they offered you a show first? Is that I think that's what you there was an article back in the day, but, no, it, but it was like an anything. By like the way, it could I, wouldn't, be I wouldn't trust any of the media. Like it blows my what? mind. It's, no, I, I, <laughs> I've been misled. I'm no, sharing fake I, I, news. You know, I've been on the record once or twice, like mm-hmm. in the um, in the what was it Variety? What was the thing that I was the uh, CNN had the I, cover of? I think it might have no, been oh no, THR, the the Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. By the way, I was really embarrassed about that, and I didn't share it, and it or send a copy to my mom because there wasn't a woman 
And oh, CNN is oh, driven. I remember seeing, CNN I remember is seeing driven tweets about by that. women. And there wasn't a woman on the cover of that. And it really pissed me off, Phil. Um, how did we get here? What the hell was I just saying to you? I don't you? know. You were saying that you wanted to, I don't know. <laughs> no, so, no, so the mandate from CNN I was, was sleep, wide open. Casey. And they never once, we never discussed what we would do together. Interesting. Yeah, huh. and, and I, I have said that on the vlog before, and to me that was them exemplifying their confidence. And you as a person. It wasn't just me and as a person. It was me. It was the 11 people that were working at Beam at the time. It was my partner in this, Matt, who, by the way, at Beam now, the company, Matt has a far more senior role than I have. Mm -hmm. Matt is the general manager of the entire company. He's running the whole company. I'm not. I'm, I'm sort of creative directing and, and leading our, our creative behind the company. But he's running this company. And again, underscoring that question, which is like, Beam failed, why did CNN buy it? It's the value there, and you understand this mm -hmm. as a business owner, the value was far deeper than just a single product. Right. Um, but with that, no, they were like, design something for us. And, and that's why when you keep saying news, 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 um, one, I, I fully realize that's because we haven't really explained what we're doing there yet because it's an evolving process. Right. But you know what we're doing is so much more broad than news. You know, like one of the entities we're building right now, and we just appointed a person who's going to be running that. It's called Beam Productions, and it goes way beyond news. And it's about societal and fun and interesting things that aren't news. Mm -hmm. um, so you know we're really building a multifaceted, really broad company here. And at the core of that's going to be something that I think could be characterized as news. But it's certainly not news in the CNN, Fox News, MSNBC form of news at all. It's instead like it, it, things that I think uh, people, I don't mean, things that our team think people like us would be interested in learning more about. Right. Um, and, oh, and but I, so. And I hope that makes some sense. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I just remembered where it came from. The, uh, the idea of legacy, right? So does that sure. mean in three years you're still at Beam, but you're doing, you're focusing something on something else there or? It, Sure. Obviously, I don't want to put you. No, no, no. In the I box. understand, and, yeah. and also, I'm not very good at predicting the future because I have trouble sitting still for how long has this interview been? Um, but the point is, like, I could not be more excited and more mm -hmm. focused on what we're doing at Beam right now. But I'm also extremely respectful of the fact that for this company to be the level of success that I and everybody else wants it to be, it needs to be way fucking bigger than Casey in the next oh, eighteen yeah. months to three years. So when I look at legacy and I look at what it is. I mean, I, I couldn't predict or even begin to predict what my role in this company would be in three years. Um, I hope that it's successful beyond my wildest imagination, and some of the credit for that success goes to me. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, in 25 years, do I think that I'll still be sort of leading the creative team at Beam from a basement of a former furniture store in Chinatown? Like, I highly doubt it. I think mm -hmm. it's going to be something very different. Um, when I think of sort of uh, the scope of my career, you know, it's like, feature films, indie filmmaker, fine art, um, television, uh, student at MIT, like all these different things. I do think Beam's going to be a, like, uh, own a really big piece of real estate in the spectrum of my career. But I don't think, you know, I'm 30, we're both old men, Phil, but I'm, I'm, I'm 36. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I'll retire from Beam, you know, when I'm 75. I think that, I think this is going to be the main focus of my career for the foreseeable future, but this is not going to be, uh, this isn't going to be the last thing that right. I in, really engage in. And like, and so eventually, you, do you want it to be associated with other people? Like, you don't want to be the Shane Smith device, or you do? Because you know, there is part of like, yeah, I would like that that like notoriety to be known for that. You know, I you get to a point. I know you've experienced this, but like, you get to a point with notoriety and fame where you just you stop. At least I do. You stop caring. Mm. 
I, I mean it because you realize how temporary and how shallow it is. Um, you feel like the most important guy in the world and then you stop posting YouTube videos or tweeting or what have you for a week and go on vacation and by Friday you feel completely irrelevant. So chasing that rabbit, <laughs> you know what I'm I talking about, Phil? Uh, oh, I've been doing this 10 years. I've gone through every <laughs> cycle imaginable. I, I, I understand. <laughs> so, so chasing that yeah. rabbit, I think, is a really lost cause. Mm -hmm. I think that's, a, that's an exercise in futility. So for me, it's about doing meaningful things. Like, you know, when I look back at, like, the films, the videos that I've made that I'm most proud of, like the one about marrying Candace or, or having Francine or, or even Make It Count, which was, like, a movie that was such a turning point in my own career and life, like, I look at those and I'm so excited that I had the opportunity to make those. And I'm so excited about having created something. And that's what matters to me. Not, you know, not sort of not sort of the ego strokes that is like being the person who made this or the person who made that. Because I know just how temporary that is. Right. No, I respect that. I get it. So kind of to, to shift gears away from then what you're building with Beam, um, the last video, I always kind of like get interested. Is there anything that, whether it be in YouTube or just anything coming out now or you see a shift happening that you're excited about but you're not actively going after? Right, like so, you're going after this thing with Beam. I'm going uh, very news based. Is there something out there other than Liza Koshy where we would gush for another five minutes that you get excited about? Like, um, yeah. Well, before we get into that, Phil, I need to gush. Oh. I need to gush about the Phil DeFranco show. Oh, thank you. This is this um, is what I'm going to pimp out on Twitter today. <laughs> no, I, I I do mean this. This is a this is a broader discussion than just my um, my being a fanboy of what you do. But I think that one thing that always shocked me as I as I, my presence on YouTube grew, was how much the few people at the top really dictate the trends behind YouTube. Mm. And when I look back three years or whatever, when the YouTube Beacon program launched and um, uh, helped me, it was Tyler Oakley, it was uh, Lily Singh, it was, uh, it was Grace Helbig, they were on billboards and their faces were everywhere. And, they, and YouTube was sort of proclaiming from the mountaintops, this is who we are. But details aside, I thought it was a really great thing because all those creators stood for something. And I thought they were all like wonderful individuals to really represent a platform. Mm -hmm. And because of that, young people and aspiring creators came on en masse and said, okay, that's the North Star. That's what we're aspiring towards. And YouTube has gotten away from that program for, you know, I'm sure good reasons. And YouTube right now is a little bit on its own to sort of define what the direction of this platform is. And that, to me, is a little bit disconcerting because where capitalism meets artistic creation is it always a dangerous place. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are a number of creators that are succeeding monetarily and, and by metrics and audience size and things like that who creatively are, are cranking out things that I just don't think are moving the envelope forward in any meaningful way. I think they're moving the um, they're, I think that they're they're capitalizing on something intelligently because these kids are getting paid. Yeah. But I don't think that they're making the kinds of content that inspires sort of a, a younger generation of of individuals. Where I'm going with that is when uh, I look to like what the Liza Koshis and the David Dobricks and these young smart creators that are doing interesting out of the box things. I say like that's what I love to see more of. You know, David Dobrik, who's like I love the guy, but. He created a genre on YouTube that didn't exist. Like these short four-minute non-sequitur vlogs that are just joke after joke after mm -hmm. joke that are so pleasure, so pleasing to watch. Right. Ensemble cast that never existed on, on YouTube. Like that kind of thing is brilliant. That's comedic genius right there. 
And like him having gone from 200,000 views an episode to 2 million views an episode in 10 months is not an accident. It's because he's someone who's truly pushing the envelope. Um, and I, I attach that to what the Phil DeFranco show is because I think from an intellectual standpoint, you're, you're doing the same thing. I think you are a beacon on the platform to show that like you don't have to be a prankster or pretending you were killed or acting like there's a ghost in your bedroom <laughs> to be successful on this Leave platform. Leave Lance alone. Yeah, you no. can um, you can you can make meaningful content mm-hmm. that really occupies a space in people's lives as as your show does to so many people, and you can also be successful even with that. And I think that that to me underscores the beauty that is YouTube, um, and that's sort of squarely where I focus. Mm-hmm. It's where I get frustrated with my daily vlogs. I still want to upload daily, but creatively, you know, I don't have the focus because of you know I'm, I'm trying to build another company and. Candace and baby and moving yeah. and life and all this other stuff. It's, it's, I've been forced to sort of deprioritize the vlog to like a second tier priority in my life. And as I catch myself uploading videos that I'm like, you know, I wish I'd had two more hours to make that more perfect. Um, it kind of bums me out because I feel like I'm not, I'm not taking my role seriously as a, as a person with an opportunity to help sort of steer the ship of what's capable on this platform. I mean, are you still of the mindset of you would never let anyone else edit the vlog. I know we've talked about this in the past. I mean, so just to, just to qualify that, okay. um, the vlog in my movies on YouTube aren't just to make content to share with an audience. Mm-hmm. For me, like the craft of doing that is the very reason why I love it. So, you know, the idea that like the walls are empty and I need to hang more paintings, so I don't just hire more painters. I'd rather sort of leave them empty because it's the act of painting that I love. Like, for me, the edit is not a mechanical part of creating a piece of video, but the edit's where I find my stories. I challenge myself as a storyteller. And I get better every single day forcing myself to do that. So if I can't sort of do the whole thing, it's just not as interesting for me. And just to, to, to that qualify makes, that, that, makes so much sense, to yeah. qualify that, Phil, our daily show at YouTube, which is like fucking awesome. I can't wait for you to see it. Mm-hmm. I don't edit that. And I don't edit that. And I don't even, I, you know, I don't direct it. Jake directs it. I think he's better than me, and I think the editor that Jake, the editors that he's brought in, you know, he's our head of production, so his responsibilities are vast at Beam. But the editors he's brought in, I think, are better editors than I am, and I don't second guess their moves at all. I give them my creative feedback, and I embrace that as a collaboration. So I have no aversion to working with others. But for what I put on my YouTube channel and those videos that I create, uh, the 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 act of making it is as important to me as being able to regularly put out videos. So that's where you get the most value out of when you make content is when you are looking at the screen, you're crafting it, like the editing, producing of it. I, I, I love it. I get I that. Absolutely I absolutely love it. I mean, I get that for other things. Doing my show, monotonous, soul killing. The, the truth is I look at your show and mm. I think the only thing that I could equate it to is imagine somebody else writing your show for you. Mm. Phil, wouldn't it right. be faster for you if somebody wrote it for you and handed you a script at the beginning of every show? You'd look at me and like be like, Casey, how dare you even suggest that? Right? Am I putting words in your mouth? Maybe not on the weekend video. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's what, 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 I've, what I've found, because I, yeah, I don't script, I don't do anything, it's off the top of my head, but what I've found is that there is sometimes a benefit, but it ends up being not something that I'm reading, but something I end up bouncing off of. So it ends up, a script ends up being what people get from my show, which is a, a starting place, uh, a thing to bounce off of, a way to kind of get in the, the mind of someone, see why they think something, and then go from there. I, uh, I, don't know, I think that's where I get a, a lot of the value, right? It, a lot of the value, and it comes from the past two years. Um, 
it really came from this this most recent election. I think it brought myself and many other people back into it, where I, I wouldn't talk about it. I wouldn't talk about anything. Um, but the the sharing of ideas and and really the the finding my own flaws that's been fascinating because as as someone that gains an audience, it is very easy to believe that you are infallible, that you are you are always right. Like the the kid that I think you even left a comment, the kid that was trying to get into uh, VidCon and was shouting at the security guard. That is not that is not an outlier situation for a lot of small up and coming YouTubers. It's just sometimes it's not a security guard. It's um it's like an Apple Apple genius at Apple. Um, I remember one of my first years. Uh, on YouTube, I think I had like 300,000 subscribers. I was, I was, I was trying to use my, uh, my, uh, college ID two years after it was expired to get an Apple discount and he wouldn't give it to me. And I was like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? And my, and my wife now, girlfriend at the time, uh, was just like, you need to not be a fucking tool. And I'm so glad I had people around me like the entire time I've come up because it's so easy to fall into it, especially as, uh, a former, kid that had no friends in high school. It's so easy to become a monster, right? And so that's what I've gotten the most out of YouTube and the conversation is is not like there are people that say like I'm their moral compass. Cool, but I should be a, a launching, like a place to sure. start to find where you actually stand. Phil, can I, um, if we're talking about your flaws. Yes, jump in. Okay, and I mean this. Yes. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna choose my words carefully uh -oh. here. No, I mean it because this, uh, I watch this and it upsets me. Okay. Um, if I had one criticism yes. about Phil DeFranco in the Phil DeFranco show, you don't give yourself the credit that you should be giving yourself. A criticism that's a compliment? I'm not Who done. Who is I'm this guy? I'm not done. I'm not done. <laughs> I mean that. Okay. You, Phil DeFranco is a big fucking deal. And you have a huge audience. And, and people care about what you think and care about what you say. And where I'm going with this is that your video where you beat up The Verge, I, I mean it. It was like I'm watching that and I'm like, Phil, you're bigger than this. You're better than this. Mm. Like you should not be wasting your time to, to See, tell. I understand. And, and I understand. Wait, I'll let you finish. I'll tell you, you finish. Yeah, I'll before finish. you I'll push finish. back, it's because like I watched that and like nothing you said was wrong at mm. all. And I mean that. But like seeing you unzip your pants and lay it out on the table and be like, yo, Vox, have a look. Mine's bigger, which is what you did um, by sharing those numbers with us. There was a little part of me that was like, get him, Phil. But there was, a, there was a bigger part of me that was like, dude, I don't think you really realize the, the role that you play in people's lives. And there's no way that journalist wrote that like uh, very poorly researched article. There's no way that that journalist plays the role in individuals' lives the way that you do. And I watch your show and I see your show as like, I mean, objectively, as big as most of the late night talk shows on, on news channels. And subjectively, opinion-wise, I think that you play a much a far greater role in people's lives than a lot of traditional news broadcasters. And a little piece of me when I see things like that, I'm like, I wish there was a way, I wish Phil understood that more. Because, and I, I keep going. Wait, I I'm, just, a, I'm a little confused. So, because one, I understand there are a lot of people that watch me that the get em Phil, I feel, that, I feel like a lot of people think I'm like an angry Rottweiler on a leash that's like ready to let go and they like when I go off. But I think a lot of the, the benefit of my show is that when I'm able to cover a horrible story like the Daddy of Five thing and then try and just 
get it out so that it's rational and you and you don't feel like there's an angry like crazy person that's trying to get a point across. Um, but as far as the talking about it, the reason I talk about it isn't isn't this isn't for any really other reason than to shine a light on the 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 poorly research research bullshit that gets thrown out there. I even at VidCon, I, I've been approached by two um, writers or maybe journalists. I don't know, like their <laughs> level of expertise. I don't consider myself a journalist, um, but they're like, hey, we did a video on you before, or we and and the other one, we did an article on you before, and you called us out because it was wrong. I was horrified, and I was like, yeah. And they're like, but no, thank you, because then we had like meetings of like how to change. Uh, what we're doing? Are we are we forcing too many videos to be created, and so and so we're not and so we're not actually researching it, and so there's now going to be a negative impact. If part of what I do by by talking about uh, poorly researched articles or hit jobs like the Wall Street Journal against PewDiePie is that it makes someone think for a second before they decide to to put out some bullshit so they can clickbait, great. I think that's that's a side side effect that I I love having. Phil, there's there's and I agree with you, but keeping them honest, which is part of the reason why I'm such a big fan of your show, keeping them honest is something that you should be doing more of and get angry and like be that belligerent white guy because it's important. And I mean that. <laughs> belligerent white guy. That's the new Isn't show. Isn't that how you just characterize yourself? No. You just threw that out at me, right? I didn't say belligerent white guy. Be that belligerent <laughs> white guy, Phil, because we love that. We be love that. Be that fat belligerent white guy. What? Did, I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, we love that. I mean it. I just like... and. It was just the thing where you unzip the pants and well, you started going down stats. And it's like, Phil, you don't need to tell me things that I know. Like, well, know a lot of people don't realize that, right? So I'm not, I'm okay. not necessarily. And, that, and that's fair. Yeah. I just want you to know what it felt like to me is it's like, okay. it's like, dude, do you know how important you are to so many of your viewers? Because if you did, you wouldn't be wasting your time with this. And that's all. I think, I think that. It, I, it's, it's an avenue that I, I'm so, I'm so confused because it sounds like you're for it, but then also against it. I'm only talking about like the only thing that rubbed me the wrong way was when you started going down stats. And this is how many people watch your show, and this is how many people watch. Your I think show people need to understand why they're they're coming at us. Other than we are at also at a, a level of importance that it will generate views because there are places that will continue to do hit jobs because they know they, they don't care about how many people are going to stick around. They just care about how much traffic I can get. Like that's, that's something that I think we saw in old school Gawker, right? It was just, I'm going to put something out there and we're going to get a ton of traffic. And I mean, they ended up getting <laughs> really Didn't fucked. Didn't really work out yeah. super well for them. <laughs> for them <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, that's, I don't know. I, uh, it, covering, covering those stories, it's, it's important. And, and look, and that's it. Keep, keep them honest. And I don't, I don't, I hope it didn't, I hope you're not misinterpreting what I'm saying. No, I just want no. you to know that like you, you are, uh, you are a huge deal and what you're doing is tremendously important and it's important to the platform. It's important to your audience and it's important to individuals, me included. And and, and why I bring it up, and I bring it up delicately, and I hope it doesn't, I hope it wasn't misinterpreted at all, but like, I, there are times when it feels like, um, it feels like that message maybe isn't getting to you. So I'm That I'm important? The, the, how big of a deal you are, oh. Phil. I mean, and I mean that, how big of a deal you are. Because I see you defending yourself, and it's like, dude, you don't need to defend yourself. We, we know, Phil. Well, we know. Yeah, I no. know you're bigger than this stupid article that was poorly researched. And mischaracterizes what you what you do and and sort of lumps you in with a category that you do not belong in. I think I think it's because 
it kind of goes into what you're thinking about should you address it, right? You yeah. see it as yeah, a defensive maneuver, whereas every defensive maneuver I do is really an offensive maneuver, right? So when The Verge and Forbes and uh, put us in this certain box and, and, and incorrectly write about us, it's it has to be talked about because otherwise it will continue to happen. And it also it, it serves why we're doing what we're doing. Um, when... I'm not going to mention the CNN story. When other people <laughs> do things, I want you to know that um, I love. No, the, no, 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 no. The, the story, the, the, the story that I was going to say. I know completely what you're going to say. Okay. I love the individuals that I work with at CNN, mm -hmm. and I, I love the people. But look, I'm, I'm, I will never be sort of an arbiter of defending. Right. No, and you don't seem like it. Yeah. yeah. No, and I also so think if you that have a it's, joke that they're the no, it's of, no, it's not, a, it's not a joke. It was just like situations of where there is. There is manipulation or exclusion or something to to push a narrative. That's exactly right. right. And so, and that's oh, is that mine or yours? Uh, and so, I'm going to continue covering it because I think that's also part of my base show. I think a lot of what I want to create is is doing deep dives. The closest thing I ever can think of it is like d mini Doc Vice pieces with a little more personality, sure. um, but that that pertain to the more like the more important things that affect our daily lives, um, whether it be like marijuana legislation with with having a, an ag that after eight years of having someone that was pretty lax is like it's the devil it's just as bad as heroin um which is crazy to hear and insert ear but i just th just those things things that and then also maybe then pointing out why they think that is it based off of uh old old bullshit uh arguments and old that, bullshit data that i think is the magic of your show mm -hmm. and, and let me know if you think this is unfair but i think the recipe that I, the formula that I see for the Phil DeFranco show that makes it so engaging is that your show is 51% um, uh, objective presentation of the news or facts and 49% um, Phil DeFranco's perspective on that. And I use, excuse me, I use the word perspective very, very carefully here because you mostly don't present your perspective on it as the objective facts mm -hmm. or as a, a prescription for how people should feel about it. It's merely how you feel about it and why. And I think that's a very, very difficult balance to strike. And I think, you know, I've been watching your stuff for a very long time, but I think you landing in the more sort of reverent news uh, narratives that you've been tackling in the last eight months is such a good fit for just that reason. Because there's such complexity out there that, like, there's no shortage of information. I can get information anywhere, but why, why do I tune into your show every day? It's because you characterize that information in a way that I understand. Don't always agree with, right. but I do understand. And me having the, um, as a viewer, me having the confidence to decide whether or not I want to agree with this guy or disagree with this guy, I think really um, speaks volumes to your ability to sort of walk that line. Well, thank you. Yeah, of I'll course, Phil. I mean, I'm nothing but honest, but I, I, I mean all of that. I'll take that. Wait, I want to know if we have enough time to jump into a question. I don't know how long we've been. How long are podcasts? Yeah. We have 10 minutes? All right, cool. How cool. long have we been yapping for? An hour. You don't have to whisper. We're <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> They're like, 10. I'm like, we already fucked up the flow. <laughs> I just didn't know. I was like, I don't know what. I think I have two hours. I don't know when your next thing is. But uh, so wait, so, to get back to where you derailed yeah, deflected. No, uh, what are you excited about that in, in a place that oh, you're not sure, currently yeah. focusing? Um, I think comedy on YouTube 
and you said not talk about Liza Koshy, but I think she's a part of that. <laughs> no, I mean it because yeah. comedy on YouTube is something that like uh, the 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 genres that drive YouTube are cyclical. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look back, 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 you know, you've got Fousey and you've got Roman Atwood and you've got PVP and it was pranks. And like those other guys that were a lot less savory and pranks blew up on YouTube and then mm-hmm. it was a race to the bottom and they just imploded. Yeah. And now it's super passe. And I think where we are right now is at the absolute tail end of vlogging being that cycle. I think that vlogging, we're, we're about to hit rock bottom. Um, it went from something where I think it was like romantic and personal and unbelievable um, about one individual sharing their life mm-hmm. to being a much more mechanical, people working with editors. And uh, it, it's getting away from the intimacy that I think made it such a, a unique a genre. And I think where we're entering into now, and I, I credit the Liza Koshies and the David Dobricks of the world for, for really ushering this in is like a new version of scripted reality comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an incredibly hard nut to crack. But I look at what's happening in that space and I see really interesting stuff, really interesting stuff. I'm not funny enough to be in that space. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one of the, one of the, the sub genres or sub genres that I see coming up on YouTube. I'm super excited about because I love it. I would love to see more of it because for the longest time having a, like whether it be a sketch channel or anything like that, unless you have Liza Koshy numbers, David Dobrik numbers, it's just not sustainable. Um, when, like even when we launched SourceFed back in the day, you know, we, we got a nice chunk of money. We, we put out lots of content. Early days, those videos got anywhere between 300 to 500,000 per. We put out five a day initially. And so it was a lot of views, but even that at that point wasn't sustainable. Obviously the, the industry had to, to go up, but I mean, I don't know. I've never seen what ad-friendly <laughs> CPMs are, but um, just just based off of <laughs> I'm not thinking that. No, it's true. <laughs> like when when uh, when Fousey the other day posted, um, "This is what I'm getting, and this is what someone else got," and I was like, "Why are you posting probably Roman's numbers?" Uh, just isn't that against YouTube violations? Are you not allowed to publicly talk about? Let's move on. Phil. I don't know. <laughs> Let's keep why, why are you narking on YouTubers? <laughs> I'll just play it. As, I, as we talked for no, like 15 de- minutes about de- your video. De- Phil DeFranco defending FouseyTube. Oh, yes. There was, there's our title. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, no, just... you were talking about sustainability and how that's fine. Right. It's just, it's really. But what I think is interesting is what these individuals are doing. Um, when I say individuals, I mean literally focus on David, his clan of co-collaborators who all have really successful and growing channels. Um, the way they're doing it, I do think is scalable. They're still creating as an individual creator, no machine behind them, excuse me, no staff behind them, no crew behind them. It's still monetizable content in the fact that for the most part it is uh, ad-friendly. There's some profanity, but nothing extreme in them. Mm. And then on top of that, I think that we're about to enter into a new era of branded content. And I think that's really interesting. It's a a little bit of a sensitive subject after you beat the shit out of me for not making it clear that Samsung was a part of my last video. But I think that like Samsung, the reason why I'm so excited about working with them, um, by the way, Phil DeFranco has his Samsung phone. I want all of you. Oh wait, yeah, I should, I should say that I have a, I have a Samsung S8 because I hit up Casey and was like, Hey, you think you could get me a free phone? Um, (laughs) Hey, I think if anything, that shows that... How do you like it, Phil? How do you like your phone? I want to love... Okay, so the, the video quality, 
Gorgeous. You heard it here first, folks. Phil DeFranco loves his. This Samsung whole podcast phone. is actually shot on nothing but S8s. That's no, total <laughs> bullshit. Um, no, let me get back to it. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not teasing you about your phone, but I think like Samsung is literally pushing the envelope when it comes to working with creators, mm-hmm. and their initiative now is about enabling creators. So it's not bullshit branded content where it's like talk about how much you love our phones, but it's like what can we help you do in this space? And mm-hmm. I think that that will be seen as sort of a benchmark for how brands can work with creators. Well, yeah, there's this weird line when it gets to that because I um uh I respect like Taco Bell as a brand, but they were on my shit list for about two years because they would get essentially so much free uh, video done by just offering experiences and offering back end. And it's like, motherfucker, where's a check? Um, you're getting all this free stuff because these people aren't, obviously you're a large creator, but you're getting all these free views and you're, and you're breaking the current system uh, because all of these people are just like desperate to get to get and, something and it's special a big, ugly, it's a weird it's a, it's big, a weird ugly thing mess. and also look I, I still as a as a, even with you know a, a big channel as big as mine i still get offers that are like here's a transaction talk about our product for 30 seconds and why you like it so it's like we have a long way to go in the branded space mm-hmm. but the audience is much more keen to this stuff now mm-hmm. and because of that it's forcing the brands to be much more adaptable and I have a very optimistic perspective on where things are headed. This conversation, this back and forth started talking about like how is it going to be sustainable to really have successful comedy channels on YouTube. And I think that branded is going to play a big role in that because they are adapting. And when I look to the future, I do see a really, um, I, I do have, I, I see greener pastures because I think there are going to be more and more creators just like, just like you, Phil, who are frustrated with app, with, um, with YouTube's AdSense system and its unreliability. And they're gonna be looking to more longer term, meaningful engagements with ways to finance their operations. And I think brands are would be foolish not to figure out how to be a part of that solution. Right. Um, and, and that's not to say that I don't, uh, that's not to say that I don't agree with you that like there's been a lot of sort of missteps in the past when it comes to working with brands and there will be in the future. But I do think the opportunities to work with brands in ways that better merge with individual I mean, the stuff you do with Squarepiss Space, the stuff you do with Phil, feels very straightforward. Right. I'm never mad at you for talking about those brands, but how long did it take you to find a, 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 a warm, happy fit for how the way you introduce brands? Into well, your yeah, I mean, the way that we introduced ads was completely part of a, a plan, right? So we created a happy space among the chaos that is my show, which is today and awesome, where it's nothing but happy videos and, it, and it's brought to you by our sponsor, right? Initially, it was fake sponsors, like it was brought to you by pretzels, or it was brought to you by waffles are better than pancakes, uh, and then slowly integrate our own merchandise. Um, but then it, it's really, I mean, that's that's just the audience getting used to it in general. Um, we, we started integrating sponsors, and we were some of the first people other than maybe Smosh that didn't get shit for it. Um, and I think it is, it's the audience is getting used to it, but it, everything we do, it, it comes out down to transparency and authenticity. And I, so I think as people evolve, as it becomes a bigger part of the ecosystem, and as long as YouTube kind of ends up pushing us into their arms... Um, or pushing us into the arms of anyone else that can help us, the Patreons, any of the any of the brands that are that are willing to be like creator friendly, where we're not going to control you. We want you to make cool shit, because uh, that is one thing that I'll say I respect. I feel like more and more brands get that, sure. where they're just like, we want not just your views, but we want you, right? That's where we're gonna have the best push. It is changing, but I uh, I don't know. I uh, when YouTube does something, anything like YouTube, the adpocalypse was one of the. It ends up being one of the best things that ever happened to me. 
right? And that's almost everything in my career. You, why does YouTube? Why is YouTube so angry at Phil DeFranco all the time? And why are you here? What do you mean? How are you not banished from VidCon the way you're banished from everything else with YouTube? How are you not the star of YouTube Rewind every year, Phil DeFranco? I am. I feel like I'm uh, for for ten years now. I feel like the black sheep. There is love. And there is, I there just, is like, I dislike. See what you do, like, I think I introduced you when you were in my vlog years ago as like, you are legacy YouTube. Like you have done so much to shape what YouTube is. Um, but I watch your show and I see you bitch about YouTube all the time and yeah. I don't understand that misalignment. No, I mean, uh, so I, even being here, I've, I've talked to a bunch of just, just being at the parties. Like we don't have scheduled meetings, just talking to, to YouTube engineers, people in marketing, people in, in that are, that work on the algorithm, um, and, and getting very positive feedback. Obviously that's not going to be everyone, uh, at an event like this, people usually don't come up and they're like. Uh, go fuck yourself. They that's it's usually the people that if are I like see that guy who's yelling at the um, security oh, guard. I, will go up to him I, I think that. we need to define the security guard and like film just being like and just uh, sorry. Phil, Phil talked about this earlier, but there was a video that was sort of being passed around Twitter. Oh yeah, I didn't explain this. And well. it was um, it was a, a, a gross, and I'll use that word to describe another mm -hmm. human. But it was a gross sort of Instagram famous or supposedly Instagram famous guy, really saying the most demeaning, unsavory things to a security guard who ostensibly just wouldn't let him in the door. I couldn't really get what was going on. But saying just absolutely horrific things to a guy and one of many people who are literally just here to keep us safe and to keep the kids who are here to see us safe, who has an, a very tough job, who I would assume is not being compensated to the degree of like <laughs> a, somebody who calls themselves an Instagram star. Right. But like those are the people you respect. Those are the people you elevate. Mm -hmm. Those are the people you shake their hands and you say thank you. And there's this video of this fucking douchebag screaming at this guy, calling him all kinds of horrible things. And that happened right here at VidCon. Um, so when we're complaining about that, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. And if I see that guy, we'll confront him. Ooh. I'm not sure how I could not. I mean, you think you could walk by that guy and be like, there he is, without being like, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me, can we have a word? Yeah, please? I feel like you'd, it'd be, that would be, that would be something where it's like you have to have backbone. That's where it's like, a guy like that should not in any way represent any of us, right? And, right. and what the unfortunate thing is, most of the toxic, loud people in, in our society do, right? And so I think that's where it is important to, to step in. I do want to see if I can find that security guard, though. And just, just so I'm like, we're not. That's not us. Look him in the eye. Every security guard you see, you say thank you. You say hello. You say good morning. I mean that. Yeah. In any situation, like mm -hmm. you do the same thing with police officers, like whether they want it or not, like you have to treat everyone around you like a human being. And there's a real, when I see a video like that, it, it could not be more disheartening. I think, I think we're going to end on the, uh, the happy note that, that came from the bad. That's, yes. that's, that's life, right? Happy notes out of the bad. What do you think the most interesting part of this podcast was i love the whole thing i don't know i think this should be the first one i love it great great we we went at each other we loved each other yeah we talked about and real what did, stuff what did we what did we agree on it was like 25 percent of